0: Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31. And it reads, Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of this giant. I don't know if y'all caught it. The song was talking about you know, giant going to stand in my way and victory and all that. They were singing about David and Goliath before I preached about David and Goliath. That's just the Holy Spirit because I didn't even tell us I was going to preach this. He said, no giant's going to stand in the way. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine and fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. I know it's disrespectful to call old people old people, but um, you ever had an old person tell you, I got shoes that are older than you? That's pretty disrespectful. That, that's what they were saying here. They're saying, David, you're not even old enough to put armor on. Uh, uh, Goliath has been fighting longer than you've ever even been a thought. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. I can't read this. thing. You ever having a conversation with somebody and they bring up the most irrelevant thing and you're just like, how did you get there? We're on the battlefield. Goliath is out there getting ready to cut our head off. And you're talking about sheep. Like, who cares about you? He's like, listen, let me tell you. He said, I used to keep my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear, okay, now we're talking about something, came and took one of the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its spirit and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion. And bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, that's a biblical cuss word, will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful. God, that we will see a victory in every single area of our life and our health and our finances in this church and this ministry. God, we will see the hand of the Lord on our life, God. But the enemy meant for bad. God, you're going to turn it for our good. God, we will be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. We are uh, in week three, week three of a series called I'm Not That Spiritual. I'm not that spiritual. Somebody said, Pastor, that is possibly the most offensive uh, title I've ever heard of a message I said I have an anointing for offending people. But here's the whole thought process behind the I'm not that spiritual. And I know spiritual may not be a word that you use normally, maybe may godly, maybe the thought that comes to mind or, or, or Christ-like or whatever it may be, but, but no matter who you are, whether you've been a Christian for 20 minutes or for 20 years, we're not as godly As we need to be. Don't don't say amen, just look straight ahead. It's truth though. Paul said it this way He said, The reason why you think that you've arrived or you think that you're godly is because you're comparing yourself against another human being. Compared to Tim, oh, I got you. (laughs) Compared to another person, I may be, come on now, we all know somebody who's more ratchet than us. It may be your ratchet brother. It may be the coworker, or this person or whatever. But you're looking at them and you're like, well, I go to church more. I don't cuss as much. I'm more godly. But here's the thing that Paul was trying to get us to understand. Another person was never our comparison. As believers, we are Christ followers, which means we are following, which means your pastor is not even your standard. Oh. We're not trying to be like another human. We're trying to be like Christ. And because we're trying to be like Christ, none of us are there yet. There is so much more that we can grow. There is so much more that Christ can be formed in us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Today, I want to preach the third part of this series. I going to preach a message called Prove It. Somebody say prove it. I'm going to take you back. I don't know the last time you've been to a playground, but I'm going to take you back to your playground days. And some of you have kids and you were on a playground yesterday. I'm talking about when you were playing on the playground. You remember when you were out there and, and some loud mouth and some big mouth would be like, man, I can go across the monkey bars in five seconds. And you would say, prove it. Prove it. Oh, my, my, my son, he's too Roman. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, watch me. Watch me. I can jump over this puddle. He has the basketball hops of a soccer player. Every time he says he's going to jump, he's jumping right into the puddle. Something like, I could jump from here to there. Prove it. Oh, man, I could swing all. Y'all ain't been to a playground in a long time, have you? Don't even know what talking about. I could swing all the way back here and then I could jump off the swing without it slowing down. Prove it. What? Less talk? More action. If you think you could do it, well, just go ahead and prove it. I I had the privilege of uh, knowing my great-grandmother, and she actually lived with us in the latter part of her life. Her name was Constance Bernice. That's a grandma name right there. <laughs> I actually had to call my sister to find out what her name was, but I know it's horrible. But I only knew her as Mamat. That's what we called her. That, that she was Mamat to me. And she lived the latter part of her life with us. And, and at that point, she, she, she needed help getting around. She wasn't very mobile. She would spend most of her day in her room, and then we'd help her into the kitchen for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But she'd be in her room for hours. She had this Casio piano in her room that she would play. And and, and when I say play, um, she could only play three notes at a time. She'd play one with this finger and the other with these two fingers. And, And she'd hit one chord and she'd hold that chord for the entire verse. You're like, are you making fun of your great-grandma? I am. I am that shady pastor. And then she would switch the chord for the next verse of that next chord. And she had this built-in vibrato reverb where you've heard people sing, Jesus. This is so bad, but you're laughing too, so we're all in it together. Jesus, how I choose you. (laughs) That's a problem. But she would sit in God's presence and she would worship for hours. She loved to sing. She loved the presence of the Lord. It's actually where I learned most of the hymns that I know from. That Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus was one of her favorite. And there's this line in this hymn and it's really what kind of sparked this entire message. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him. Over and over. What does it mean to prove God? That's that's an interesting concept. Like, what are we we trying to prove? Are we trying to prove that he's real? Are are we trying to prove that he cares? Are are we trying to prove that he's powerful? For some reason, the, the, the writer of this hymn and throughout Scripture, we see people talking about, I've proved God over and over again. In this passage that we're reading about David and Goliath, David and Goliath, it, it's, it's like top five, like, most famous passages in Scripture. You got Moses part in the Red Sea, you got the virgin birth, and you got David and Goliath. It's just that story that you all know, but, but in this passage, we're not dealing with King David, we're dealing with shepherd boy David. David's brothers were out at war, and they were fighting the Philistines at that time. And it was like something out of a Braveheart movie. All the Philistines were lined up on one side of the valley, and the Israelites were lined up on the other side. And the Philistine had this champion. His name was Goliath. He was a giant. Theologians believe that he was between 9 and 10 feet tall. Just to give you some reference, Shaquille O'Neal is 7 foot 3. So imagine Shaq times 3 feet. And he would come out every single morning, and he would stand at the army's lines, and he would curse their God. He said, if your God is so powerful, how come he hasn't delivered you of cancer yet? Uh-oh. If your God's so powerful, how come he hasn't healed your marriage yet? How come you're still struggling with your finances? How come this? How come that? Don't get it twisted. Goliath was a real character in scripture, but there are spiritual Goliaths that wait for us every single morning that taunt us and say, hey, if your God is so good, why are you still battling with discouragement and depression? If your God's so good, how come your business hasn't taken off yet, taunting you every single day? David, who was responsible for taking care of the sheep, his father came to him and said, hey, go check on your brothers. Bring the, the, the cheese and the bread to them. And he packed up and he went to visit them. And when he got to the battle line, it was the exact time where Goliath came out and he was taunting and, and cursing God in front of the people. And David was bewildered. He's like, how come nobody is stepping up to this Philistine? That was a biblical cussary. He said, are you guys just going to let him say that? I can take this guy on. Well, word got back to Saul. Saul brought David in and he said, so you think you can beat this giant? He said, I know I can beat him. (laughs) You're a little cocky for, for a young guy. I mean, you've never even seen war. This guy's been fighting his entire life. David said, you've missed something. I don't think I can beat them because I'm a great warrior. I don't think I can beat them because I'm strong. I can beat them because I've proven God. What? You see, at one point I was in a situation where I was in over my head. I was facing a lion. The lion began to attack me, and my God delivered me from the jaws of the lion. In another instance in life, I was facing a bear, and the bear was attacking me, and my God delivered me from the paw of the bear. So here's what I figure. The same God that delivered me from the lion is the same God that delivered me from the bear. So if he could do lions and bears, he must be able to do giants. I've seen this before. It's like the old 90s song. Same script, different cast. Here's what we think about people who are more spiritually mature than us. We think they trust God more because they know more Bible. Or or, or we think they trust God more because they've been saved longer. Or because they go to church all the time and they live these little perfect Christian lives or whatever it may be. We think people that have a deep commitment, a deep trust to God, that, that, that there's this grit, there's this faith, that they're just holding on in a way that we're not able to hold on. I'd like to submit to you that it's not just that. It's just that they've proven God to be true in their life. We have this mindset that God is like, just just trust me. Just take my word for it. And God's not saying just trust me. He's saying, I have no problem proving that I'm a good God to you. It's a fasting verse. It's a verse you read when you're hungry. Psalm 34, verse 8 says this Oh, oh taste. I'm just think about pizza right now. Oh, taste and see. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So question for you, what came first, tasting or trusting? Hmm? He said, taste first. Boy, y'all are quiet crowd today. Y'all right? You under the mask? I can't quite see you. (laughs) He said, taste first And then trust. In other words, don't take me at my word. Experience that I'm good. And once you've experienced that I'm good, then you will be able to trust me here. I can preach Jesus. I can read Jesus out of scripture. You can sit down and argue Jesus with a theologian. None of that compares to you experiencing Jesus for yourself. Because when you've experienced it for yourself, it's no longer someone told me or I heard about it, but I've tasted and seen the goodness of God for myself. My parents are uh, immigrants from the island of Barbados. I was born in the States. They immigrated here. So I'm like half American, half Bayesian. They call me a Bayesian Yankee. (laughs) And and it's very convenient to have that dual culture because you can pick which culture you adhere to based on the convenience of it. I am 100% Bayesian when it comes to food. No, no offense to you Americans and y'all mac and cheese and your fried chicken and your collard greens. God bless you, but you ain't never had oxtail and peas and rice. y'all know nothing about roti and curry chicken you it will It will bring the presence of God <laughs> everybody coming over for dinner after church <laughs> uh, Barbadians and some other islands. we have this drink called Mobby. You ever heard of Mobby? come on now, the favor of God Mobby. It's one of those things where I can explain it, but I kind of can't. What I mean by that is I can explain to you what mobby is, but if I explain it, you would never drink it and prove it to you. So here's what mobby is. Mobby is the bark from a tree. You literally take the bark off of a mobby tree and you boil it in water till it all breaks down and it's called mobby bitters. Because it's bitter. It's like drinking Vinegar. Then you take the bitter, or the bitters, you, you add water to it, you throw in some vanilla essence, you put enough sugar in as if you're making Kool-Aid, stir it all up, put it in the fridge for a few minutes, and it will change your life. Anybody want any? <laughs> Bark? Nope, I'm okay. Hearing it, it doesn't, now people drink green tea and all that kind of stuff, so it's not that different. But, but hearing it, you want a part of it. Let me get you a glass of Mavi with some ice after a long day outside. You just feel that Holy Spirit slide down your esophagus. You will realize you had never lived before. I thought I had lived, but I am now experiencing life itself. Why? Because you can hear about something. It can be explained. But until you experience, until you prove it for yourself, it means something completely different we talk about being spiritually mature, my definition is my propensity to respond in a godly manner through the situations of life. When I've proven God to be true in my life, I am more likely to respond in a godly manner in every situation that comes up. So for the next four hours that we have together, I just want to give you just three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts about how do I prove God to be true in my life. The first thing is this, write this down. If you're going to prove God to be true in your life, you have to know what he's capable of. You have to know what he's capable of. Here's the thing. Anybody who has a problem, you're not going to bring the problem to a person that you know is not capable of doing anything about it. You ever had friends, and this is shady, but I am the shady pastor. You you, you ever had friends that they're only good if nothing's wrong? Come on, don't raise your hand. Just look straight ahead. There's not a place to say amen, especially if you sit next to them. But they're just those people, if you want a good laugh, if you're just hanging, you want to go out to eat and you're lonely or bored or whatever, they're the ones to call. But if you need a favor, <laughs> c- come on now. If there's a problem, if there's a situation, you don't even look at their name. You just scroll right back it because you're like, that's dead. There's no way of calling them. If I call them, they're going to have a problem in response to the problem. You, you bring your problems to people you know that are capable. If your transmission goes out, you're not bringing it to your chiropractor. Come on now. If your computer goes out, you're not taking it to the library. Unless you're a do it or trying to get you to fix your computer for dummies book or whatever it may be. You're going to bring your problem to someone who's capable. And could it be that we're not bringing enough to God because we don't know what he's capable of? There's a passage in scripture where Jesus' cousin, many people believe, was having a wedding. And it seems like Mary, the mother of Jesus, was the wedding planner. Because she was all bugging out over this wedding. Now, weddings in the Bible day were a little bit different than weddings today. I actually got Mrs. Price, Shay, and Devin on the front row. I'm going to embarrass y'all all the way. Y'all are what, like five days married Oh, she said, don't play me. Seven days married. I actually did that wedding. It was a phenomenal wedding. But but what is the Bible day, they, they weren't one day. They were seven days. And, and, and it wasn't like seven days of vows and all that other good stuff. Like they knocked the vows out. I do, you do, you still do. Cool. And then they would party for seven. And by the way, when I say party, what I really mean is they would drink. So I said, ooh, I could do that wedding. I mean, they they would just turn up. But what happened at this particular wedding is halfway through the wedding week, they ran out of libations. (laughs) The wine was gone and Mary was bugging out because it was the greatest embarrassment to be able to invite people to a wedding but not be able to provide for them. And and Mary comes to Jesus and says, there's a huge problem. And I just picture Jesus like, what's going on so jesus we've ran out of wine and look at jesus's response i know we want to be like jesus but i wouldn't talk to your mother this way jesus said to her he said woman it's a bad start y'all but it gets worse he said what does your concern have to do with me i wish i had tried that growing up stephen i need you to do the dishes woman what does your, it wouldn't have gone well. Jesus said, what does your concern have to do with me? He said, my hour has not yet come. In other words, it's not time for me to start to perform miracles. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, this is theologically incorrect, but it's funny. I think Mary was Caribbean. I just think she was a Because there's something that she said that wasn't recorded in scripture. Jesus said, woman, what does it have to do with me? And Mary said... Full sentence. Some of y'all grew up with people like that. All the words you need. She looked them up and down. And then she needed to acknowledge him. She turned to the servant. Whatever this man says to do, do it. Guess what, by the way, he turned water into wine. And here's what happened. Because Mary was aware of what Jesus was capable of, She was able to place a demand on his power in a situation where it didn't even look. Like, you know, we have this mindset that miracles are only for problems. Let's be real. Running out of wine is probably a good thing for some of us. It's not a big problem, but yet because she knew God, she knew what he was capable of, and watch this, she knew what he was willing of. I have a question. Do you know what God is capable of doing in your life? Their problems, Are their mindsets, or their sicknesses, or their situations that we're coping with because we didn't know that he was capable of turning it around. What's he capable of? I love he answers that question. for us in Jeremiah 32, 27, this is God speaking. He wasn't even going to give it to somebody else. He said, I'll answer the question myself. He said, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Listen to his, his, his disgust. Is there anything too hard for me? God, what are you capable of? I don't have time to list all the things that I am capable of. Let's just put it this way. There is nothing that I am incapable of. There is no addiction that I cannot break. There is no disease that is not under my name. There is no hardship that I can't overcome. There is no hard heart that I can't turn to flesh. There is no broken relationship that I can't restore. Is anything too hard for God? We have to understand that we serve a God that is capable of anything that we stand in need of. But if you don't know him for yourself, you're not going to know what he's capable of. How, how do I get to know God? Well, here's what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was. If you want to know what God's capable of, you've got to get in this. Because it's here where you find that he calls things that are not as though they are. It's here that you find that he looks at dead situations and he makes them alive. It's here where you find that there is no good thing that he will, will withhold from those who walk unrightly. It's here where you find that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to a scripture. If you want to know what he's capable of, you have to get in his word. If you want to know what he's capable of, you have to learn to recognize his voice. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, this is my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. If you want to know what God is capable of, you have to get in his presence. There's something about being in the presence of God that brings an assurance. Even right now in this moment, as you're watching online, as you're sitting in the room, there's a peace that is resting on you that is even hard to explain. It's that peace as if all your problems had gone away. Got bad news, though. They haven't. They're still waiting for you in the parking lot. (laughs) But there's something about being in the presence of God where I become aware of what he's capable of. Watch this. We learn what God is capable of by getting around people who know him. You can get to know somebody better by getting around people who know them. My wife, her name is Zai, um, and, and she has a whole bunch of friends from middle school and high school. She's been in the DMV her whole life, and, and they're still here, and they're still really good friends. And, and, and I got kind of offended getting around some of her friends because, you know, she, 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 she's my wife. She got my last name. I don't know who you people are. You know who I'm talking about, too. And they come around, and they say, hey, what's up, Zena? Who's Zena? Somebody came to church last Sunday and they said, you're married to my middle school friend. I said, who? She said, Zena. I said, I ain't married no Zena. <laughs> don't, don't start that junk, I ain't get me in trouble. No, 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 I'm married to Zainab Inger Chandler. Yes, I've heard governor name out there. My wife's name is Zai. And here's what they said, well, if you knew her as long as we know her, you'd know her name was Zena. <laughs> Them fighting words, right? Apparently, Zena was like her rapper name. She went by Zena in high school. <laughs> so here's what I said. I said, well, tell me about my wife, Zena. And they said, oh, let me tell you about her. They started pulling out pictures from middle school. Y'all blackmail pictures. I mean, this chick is paying me $100 every week for me not to release these pictures. They, because they had been around her so long, they knew a part of her that I didn't even know. That's why being an isolated Christian is not the key to being a successful Christian because you got to get around other people that have tested God, that have proved God, that know him better than you know him. Because when you see what he does for them, you realize he can do it for you too. Can can I tell you a shady truth? When God blesses you, I'm like 50% happy for you. Oh I got a promo. Oh bless God, that is so great. Huh? What's up? I didn't even know you were giving promotions in the middle of the pandemic. How I mean (laughs) I I you can't even pray. (laughs) But I mean I what's up? Why? Because somebody else is experiencing God on a level that you've never experienced him on, and there's this Holy Ghost jealousy that starts to raise up inside of you. Say, no, 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 he is my God too. He's not a respecter of persons. That You are definitely not his favorite. If he can heal you, he can heal me. If he can provide for you, he can provide for me. If he can open doors for you, he can open doors for me. When you get around people who know him, it shows you what he's capable of. So if I'm going to prove God, i got to know he's capable of. The second thing is this, I have to invite him into the situation. It's not just enough to know what he's capable of. Until you invite him in, he will always stay on the outside of your problems. Here's the thing. We think that God is hovering over our life, and the second that there's a situation, there's a crack in the road, there's some problem, he'll step in and intercept that problem. What we don't understand is that God has given us dominion here on earth, that we are walking in the image of God. And because he's given us dominion over the earth, he is waiting for us to invite him into the situation. I I got good preaching. It's not good Bible, but it's good preaching. Anybody here, you watch professional wrestling? You know, one, two, nobody, God, no, heathens. Um, I'm not talking about like that fake wrestling, not that high school wrestling and Olympic wrestling, not none of that foolishness. I'm talking about real wrestling, like Stone Cold, Steve Austin, The Rock. Can you smell? You can tell how long it's been since I watched wrestling. Rock ain't even wrestling no more. He out making movies. But anyway, in wrestling, they have this thing called a tag team match. Come on, me. Nah, you know why tag team is. You got two wrestlers on, on each team. Only one is allowed in the ring at a time. You get in there and you're wrestling, you're throwing punches, and you're getting dropped on your neck and dropped on your spine. And when you've had enough, you're supposed to go to your corner and tag your partner. Now, now your partner, they haven't been dropped on their head. They still are coherent. They got energy. They're ready to let me go. And you're in there. You're getting whooped up on. <laughs> Hear me. You're in a tag team match except Jesus is in your corner. And you're in there getting choked out by life. And you're like, Jesus, why won't you save me? And he's like, as soon as you tag me, I'm jumping in that ring. But you're in there taking it on by yourself. In Daniel chapter 3 verse 17, it says this. That If that is the case, our God whom we serve is Able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. This is talking about the three Hebrew boys who refused to bow to the idol that was set up. And anybody who wouldn't bow, they said they were going to tie them up and throw them into a fiery furnace. The king tied these Hebrew boys up and he said he gave them one more shot. He said, if you bow to this idol right now, I won't kill you, essentially. And they said, we will not bow. Our God is able to deliver us. That's how it's written. I don't think that's how it went down, though. I actually think of the way it went down is they're tied up. The flames are there, ready to burn them up. And they said, "Oh, King, our God, God, oh God, and He is well able. One second, He is well able. He's well God. He's well able. Yes, He is." He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Oh, boy. He's well able to deliver us. You know what the next verse says? And even if he doesn't. (laughs) I don't think they were talking to the king. I think they were talking to God. Through their words, they were inviting God into their situation. The Bible says, Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they who love it will eat its fruit. You have to understand when David said, God delivered me from a lion, delivered me from a bear, and he will deliver me from this Philistine, he wasn't really talking to them. He was extending his faith, inviting God into his situation, saying, God, I know that you're able. Tag, you're it. Feel free to step into my situation. If only we understood that my worship is an invitation to God to step into my situation. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. If only understood that my words were an invitation to God. The Bible says that he did not allow one word that was spoken to return void. We got to learn how to invite God into our situation. My parents... My parents taught me how to invite God into situations that my mom was telling me one time. A situation where one of my siblings were out of state. Actually, actually they were at a wedding. And they were in a wedding party. And, and they got sick and they were rushed to the hospital. The hospital that they were rushed to, it, just, it, it, it actually had a national reputation of not being a great hospital. And when my mom got there, the doctor said, "You know, this is an emergency. We, 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 we have to do surgery on your child." My mom said, "You're not doing no surgery here. Uh, we're gonna transfer her to the, to the to hospital that's an expert on this type of case." And, and they got into it because they didn't want to release my, my sibling from that hospital. Come on, parents. They try and hold your kid, tell them you can't take them where they're gonna get the best help. My mom was almost like, "Holy ghost! Wait one second. second." <laughs> Here's what she said she did. She said, I'm not talking to any of you guys. Everybody get out. She kicked everybody out of the hospital room. She said, Stephen, I started pace up in that room and I began to worship God. And I began to pray in the spirit and I began to worship Him and say, God, this is your child before it's mine. God, you are in control. God, I don't know what to do. They're not listening to me. I don't even know what the next step is. But God, I know that you know. I know that you're able. So I'm inviting you into this situation. God, I'm praying that you would step in right now. She said she doesn't even know how long she was praying. All she knows is there was a knock on the door. A nurse stuck her head in and said, hey, I'm not really allowed to do this. But I've called an ambulance for you. If we move your daughter right now and put her in, we can get her to the hospital before anybody ever knows what happened. Hear me. You have to to learn how to invite God into the situation that you're in. He is waiting on the edge of that ring. He is waiting for an invitation. And sometimes you have to learn how to do it with some stealth. You can't be screaming in tongues as you're sitting in a boardroom. You have to learn just under your breath that, God, this deal is going south. And God, I don't know what else to say to get this contract, but God, you are in control. So God, I pray that you turn their hearts. Who are you talking to? Nobody. Nobody. You have to learn, here's what the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 14. Remember one verse one says he's the word became uh, or he is the word. Well, in verse 14 it says this, "The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son whom came from the Father full in grace and truth. Hear me, it is great to know God's word. It is great to know what God is capable of. But do you know what's better than knowing God's word? Seeing his word. You know what's better than knowing what he's capable of? Seeing what he's capable of. I'm so glad that God's word says that God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. But I don't know it just because it's in the word. I know it because I've seen him provide over and over and over and over and over again. I'm so glad God's word says that he's Jehovah Rapha, my healer. But I don't just know that because the word says it. I know it because the doctor gave my mother three months to live. And she lived for another 13 years. It's one thing to read the word. It's a different story to see it come to pass in your life. So I got to know what he's capable of. I have to invite him into the situation. But then I have to remember, I got to remember how good he is. Here's a big problem. There's something about time and drama that causes amnesia. Let me say that again. There's something about time and drama that causes us to completely forget the last lion that God defeated in our lives. I'm not even talking about three months of time. Let's try three days of time. You'll be in church on Sunday and God will encourage you. You'll have a peace. You would have surrendered every problem to him. You're in this service right now. You're not even listening to me because you're just drawing down all the prophecies and dreams and visions that God's given you. And here's what I'm going to do here. And, here's, and you just walk out of this place so encouraged. But come on, catch us on Wednesday. When you're looking that problem dead in the eye, it's called your boss. Or your child, or your spouse or your doctor, or whatever it may be, and the flood of stress and worry and anxiety, and we're only three days removed from being in the place of peace. We have to learn how to fight for our memory. To so remember, no no, 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 I'm not going to lose it. God's good. He was good this time last year. He was good the last problem that I had. This is not the first time I've had a financial hardship. No offense, this is not the first time I lost my job. So this is not going to be the last time that God is able to move in my life. Back to David and Goliath. I got good news and bad news. Which one you want first? Why do you always ask for bad? I'm giving you good anyway. Here's the good news. He won. He killed Goliath. But you knew that. Can I give you the bad news? After he killed Goliath, he still had more problems afterwards. Goliath was one problem for that day. Read read the life of David. It was like every chapter there was a different problem. Fast forward in his life, he's now the king. He'd been anointed. He was out in battle with three uh, three of his greatest soldiers. When they get back from the battle, they find out that the enemy had snuck into their camp and kidnapped all of their wives and all of their children and all of their possessions. Here's what the Bible says. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says this, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I can understand fighting against Goliath He was the enemy. But now I'm in a fight with the people that are closest to me. It's one thing when the enemy tries to take me out. It's a completely different story when family tries to take me out. Or those people that were supposed to have my back. Here it is, David's mighty 300 getting ready to stone him to death. And I could just picture in my mind, David's, wait, wait, don't, don't throw that. Hold on, hold on. Get that you're mad. Get that you're upset. I am too. Just give me five minutes, five minutes, and then you can do whatever you want with me. And they're like, five minutes, bro, five minutes. It's like, okay, okay, five minutes. And he walks off. You ever had one of them prayers that weren't prayers It was complaining? (laughs) And it really kind of started off like, how would I end up like this? God, how? world did this happen? God, I was doing your work. God, as much as we've talked, you couldn't have warned me about this. Then all of a sudden, this thought came to David. Hold on. This isn't the first problem that I faced. I was standing this close to death when that lion was in front of me. And God, you delivered me from the lion. And I was closer to death when the bear, that death was actually and I defeated that giant. I got his sword right here on my hip. God, you defeated the lion. You defeated the bear. You defeated Goliath. I don't know how you're going to work in this situation, but God, I know that you're good. The Bible says he began to encourage himself in the Lord. Somewhere in that prayer, he stopped talking to God, and he started talking to himself. In Psalm 42, he said this, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed? It's like he started looking in a mirror saying, pull yourself together. Don't you know how good your God is? He said, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Can you imagine those soldiers with rocks in their hands getting ready to stone him? And David's a No pun intended. A rock throw away. And he's just there, hands lifted up. You take what the enemy meant for evil. God, you turn it for good. God, I will see a victory. God, I bless you, soul. Encourage yourself. Lift your head up. Why? Why so downcast? The God that you serve, he is more than able. Yes, you may be facing a problem. You may be facing a situation. It may be a sickness. It may be a job loss. It may be a relationship that's not going the same way or the way you wanted to go. But this isn't your first bad situation. This isn't your first rodeo. This isn't your first storm. And this certainly isn't the first time that God has ever come through for you. Don't, you remember that time when you were in your car and nobody knew? You were despairing of life itself, wondering if this is how it's going to end and the peace of God just swept in and said no, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. This is not where your story ends. Don't you remember that time when people walked out on you and as if the more they walked away, the more the peace of God rushed into your heart. You need to remember That he's a faithful God. That he's delivered you before and he cannot change. So if he did it before, he has to do it again. He doesn't know how not to deliver. Here's the thing. Remembering brings perspective. Because when you don't remember, the current crisis is your biggest crisis. But when you remember how good God is, the current crisis, it's bad. It's just another bad situation, and God does bad situations. There's a gentleman that's alive right now that was alive during the Spanish flu of 1919. He's over 100 years old. They were asking him, what do you think about this COVID-19, this pandemic? You've been through a global pandemic before. If you know anything about the Spanish flu, that time, obviously, the world's population 100 years ago was much, well, not much, but it was smaller than it is today. They believe over 20 million people died from that pandemic. I'm not quite sure. I don't think COVID has even reached close to a million yet. They were asking him, what do you think? And he said, oh, this COVID thing, he said, it's bad, it's bad. He said, it's real bad. But I've seen bad. So you know what happened after bad? The country bounced back. And the economy bounced back. And we rebuilt. And we went on to some of the prosperous years. Don't get me wrong, it's bad. It's just not over. Because I've seen this before and I know that we're going to be able to bounce back. I don't know about y'all, this is my first pandemic. I, I ain't pandemic before, and I have no intention of pandemicking again. So, when the whole NBA shut down, I was like, ah! What do you mean we can't? go like, get away from me, get away from me. I don't, you put your, Pull your mask up. I mean, I was just like, I don't know what's going on. I want to know because I had no perspective but with a little bit of remembering, a little bit of perspective. Not that it's bad, you've just seen bad before and the first bad didn't take you out, so this bad's not gonna take you out either. And when you have perspective, that perspective turns into hope. You have a hope that other people may not have because you've seen what they can't see. And when you have hope, hope turns into faith. What's faith? Faith is God confidence. That there's no way he's going to leave me. There's no way he's going to abandon me. There's no way he's going to fail. And when you start getting God confidence, your shoulders start going back. You start talking differently. You start walking differently. You start looking differently. You start praising God even before the situation hasn't changed. You, you want to have a good laugh. You need to find somebody with a bad marriage but a lot of faith. It's almost funny. How's your marriage going? Oh, it's going to be a good story one day. <laughs> Boy, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a good This, this story is going to bless a whole lot of people. What does that mean? It means this hair, teeth, and eyeballs right now. We ain't even talking to each other, but I know that my God cannot fail. He's going to fix his knucklehead. She's going to start listening to me. God is going to mend this thing. That's faith in the midst of a storm. And faith turns into breakthrough. So David said, don't worry about Goliath, I'll take care of him. He goes down the stream, he finds five rocks, he puts it in a sling and he stands in front of Goliath. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. He just starts turning. I just picture Goliath laughing. This little boy is going to try to fight me with sticks and stones. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but I'm going to chop your head off. <laughs> Davis. And he releases that rock. I just feel like the Holy Spirit was just like, rock rocking beds in Goliath's forehead. He drops. The Bible doesn't tell it. This is just my imagination. I feel like the moment Goliath dropped, there was a second of silence. Where the Philistines were like, what just happened? The Israelites were like, did that just happen? You know who wasn't caught off guard? David. Because this wasn't his first rodeo this wasn't the first time that he had seen God do this supernatural. He actually expected it. and He just went and grabbed the sword, lopped Goliath's head off, and he just went on about the battle because he expected it. I got one question for you. What giant has punched you enough in your life where you are finally going to stand up, put your shoulders back, and say no, my God is able to heal, to deliver, to break this addiction, to restore this relationship, to launch this business, or whatever it may be. The God that I serve. He's defeated lions. He's defeated bears. He's defeated depression. And this situation is no different from my God. And you begin to wield your faith and open your mouth and invite God. I'm telling you, this is a season when giants are coming down. Father God, we're grateful. God, that there's no problem we can face that's bigger than you. God, we may have been a little slow in tagging you in, but God, tag your it. We invite you into every heart, every home, every business, every health situation. God, do what we know you're capable of doing. Just with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. For some of you, it's not a situation that you need to invite God into. It's your entire life. You've never invited him into who you are. And the Bible says that's what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you grew up in church and you know all the Bible verses. Maybe you been in church for decades, maybe this is your first time ever experiencing anything like this, but in your heart of hearts, you know, I haven't truly surrendered all that I am to God. Hear me. That is where life begins. You say, Pastor, I've never done that, but I want to. Right where you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father God, thank you for being bigger than anything I can face. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus to die on the cross, that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Be my Lord and my Savior and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on church, can you celebrate for every single person? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.